Our scripture reading this morning is Luke chapter 10. We're going to be looking at verses 38 to 42. Luke 10, 38 to 42. Hear now God's holy, inspired, and inerrant word. Now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, The Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. May God bless the reading and hearing of his word to us this morning. A professor of philosophy stood before his class with some items in front of him. When the class began wordlessly, he picked up a large, empty mayonnaise jar and proceeded to fill it with rocks about two inches in diameter. He then asked the students if the jar was full, and they all agreed that it was full. So the professor then picked up a box of pebbles and poured them into the jar. He shook the jar lightly and watched as the pebbles rolled into the open areas between the rocks and the professor then asked the students again if the jar was full and they chuckled and agreed yes that it was indeed full this time then the professor picked up a box of sand and poured it into the jar the sand filled the remaining open areas of the jar as he shook it down and he said now I want you to recognize that this jar signifies your life. The rocks are the truly important things, such as family, health, relationships. If all else was lost and only the rocks remained, your life would still be meaningful. The pebbles are the other things that matter in your life, maybe not so much as the others, as the rocks, uh, but the pebbles are things such as work or school. And then the sand signifies the remaining small stuff, the insignificant stuff, material possessions, for example. The professor went on to say, if you put sand into the jar first, there's no room for the rocks or the pebbles. The same can be applied to your lives. If you spend all your time and energy on small stuff, you will never have room for the things that are truly important. In the passage before us today, Jesus points out that one thing is necessary. One thing is necessary. Mary, in the story before us, had discovered the one thing necessary, the most important thing. The question I would ask of you today is, have you discovered the one thing necessary? Have you chosen the good portion as Mary did? Well, I want to dive into some of the details of these few verses that we're looking at this morning. Uh, First, who are these people? There are a number of Marys in the New Testament, 
And uh, it can get confusing sometimes when you see Mary. Which Mary is this? Um, This particular Mary is only mentioned in connection with her sister Martha. So anytime you see Martha, you see Mary together. And they had a brother named Lazarus. They were all three close friends and followers of Jesus. And there's another family member probably named Simon the leper uh, who was perhaps Martha's husband or their father or some other relation. Just a little trivia for you there. Now these, uh, there are three separate accounts of these people, Martha, Mary, and Lazarus in the Gospels. Um, Three separate accounts where they are mentioned course here in this passage before us this morning and then in the gospel of John in chapters 11 and 12 Lazarus dies and is famously raised from the dead by Jesus in chapter 11 and then in chapter 12 Mary this Mary anoints Jesus with some very expensive perfume and uh, that's when Judas Iscariot complains that this was just a wasteful extravagance for her to do this the money could be given to the poor but Judas was really just wanting to have the money for himself so those are the three places that this Mary and Martha are mentioned in the Bible now the count before us is our first introduction to Martha and Mary and I want you to notice a few details uh, of the story verse 38 tells us that Martha welcomed Jesus into her house into her home Martha loved Jesus. It's, it's easy for us to look at the story and think of Martha as kind of, kind of the bad guy of the story. You know, she's all doing all about the work and, and not about loving Jesus, but that's not the case. She welcomed Jesus into her house. Martha loved Jesus. In fact, in John 11, Martha gives one of the great confessions of Jesus in the New Testament. In John 11, her brother Lazarus has died and Jesus shows up and Martha greets him and says to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me Though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. And that sounds a whole lot like Peter's great confession. When Jesus asked the disciples, Who do people say that I am? And they listed off, you know, John the Baptist or one of the prophets. Well, who do you say that I am? And, of course, Peter spoke up and said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, just as Martha professed here in John 11. So Martha, like Peter, like Mary, was a believer. She loved the Lord. She, she was a, a disciple and follower of Jesus. But obviously she has a problem here. In verse 40, it says that she was distracted with much serving. She had invited Jesus over, and she wanted to prepare a wonderful meal for Jesus, and so she's working. She's distracted with 
the meal that she's putting together. The word distracted in the Greek literally, literally means to be drawn away, to be drawn away. She was pulled away from Jesus by the service she was doing for Jesus. Listen to that again. She was pulled away from Jesus by the service she was doing for Jesus. And there was nothing wrong with the service that she was doing. The service she was performing was perfectly appropriate. Preparing a meal and being a good host is, hostess is a, a wonderful thing. It's a necessary thing. People got to eat. And she wants to show good hospitality to Jesus, to welcome him in. She just wanted Mary to help with the work. So she asked Jesus to intervene with Mary. Now notice Jesus' words to her in verse 41. Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. She was anxious about the meal. She wanted it to be good. And that, that anxiety was troubling her. It was overwhelming her. See, the thing she felt was most important was not so important to Jesus at all. Her priorities were a bit out of order. Now, Jesus is very loving and tender, her, tender to her here. It's, it is a mild rebuke, but there is a, a note of tenderness. He says, Martha, Martha. Now, that's an important Hebraism, if you, if you will, uh, in Jewish culture, in the Jewish language and how they expressed themselves, when they used a name twice, it was considered a term of endearment. It was, it was, it was showing love. There's several examples throughout Scripture. Um, when David's son Absalom is killed, uh, trying, seeking his father's throne, David hears of Absalom's death and he's grieved. He says he's, he was deeply moved and went up to the chamber over the gate and wept. And as he went, he said, Oh, my son Absalom, my son, my son Absalom, would I had died instead of you, oh, Absalom, my son, my son. So you see in the Hebrew language when you repeat that, it's a term of endearment. Another example, Luke 22, 31, uh, Jesus is speaking to the disciples, Peter in, in particular, and he says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail, and when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Peter said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you deny three times that you know me. Simon, Simon. Jesus says. And then, of course, most famously, Jesus on the cross said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The, in, the, in, the, in, the, in the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are in perfect communion with one another. And, and at this moment, something was happening that Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, had never experienced, separation from his Father. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's a, it's a, he loves the, the Father. But there's one more. One more example I want to give you from Matthew 7. 
which goes along with what we're talking about here in these, this account of Martha and Mary, where Jesus said, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Someone said that this is the most frightening verse, verses in Scripture. That someone could say, Lord, Lord. Uh, they think that, A, that Jesus is their Lord, and they're saying it twice. It's a term of endearment, as if they love the Lord. And they did prophecy and cast out demons and did my, many mighty works in the name of Jesus. But Jesus never knew them. Jesus never knew them. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. And really that's those verses from Matthew 7 sum up the crux of the matter between Mary and Martha and us. You can serve the Lord, you can do things in his name, but not really know him or be known by him. And that's what that verse tells us. Martha knew the Lord. She wasn't one of those who would be rejected at the end. But what was happening was that she was more interested in the service that she was rendering than she was in Jesus at that particular moment. Mary had discovered the good portion. What did she, what did she discover? What was the one thing necessary? What was she doing? Look at verse 39. Mary sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. She was taking the, the posture of a disciple, the posture of one learning from a rabbi. She was sitting at his feet, soaking up his words, communing with Jesus, hearing him, certainly asking him questions, but just hanging on his words, spending time with Jesus, talking to him and hearing him. Martha was distracted from that with her service. She was pulled away from Jesus by her service for Jesus. Verse 42, one thing is necessary, Jesus says. Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken away from her. That, passage, that statement, Mary has chosen the good portion, echoes a number of verses in the Old Testament. One we have already read. Psalm 16, the Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. My chosen portion. You think about the word portion, you know, I always think about food. I always think about food any, anyway, but especially when you talk about portions. I don't like these people who talk about portion control. I'm not into that sort of thing. Uh, I should be. But portion, your helping, what your part, it's yours, it belongs to you, and it's what you want. The psalmist says, the Lord is my chosen portion. He's mine. Another one, Psalm 27. One thing have I asked of the Lord, 
That will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. Psalm 73, my flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Psalm 119, the Lord is my portion. I promise to keep your words. 142, I cry to you, O Lord. I say you are my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. You see what's reflected there in all those passages is that the psalmist, whoever whoever the psalmist might be in, in those cases, they were delighting in the Lord. They were They were loving the Lord. They didn't want anything more than the Lord. And that's exactly what Mary wanted. She wanted to be with the Lord. She wanted to to have that communion with the Lord. Martha was all wrapped up in the meal that she was preparing. She had gotten distracted, pulled away from the Lord. And isn't that easy to do for us? We can be all about going to church and being active in the church and active in good things in our lives and and doing and doing and doing and really leave the Lord behind. Leave leave the Lord leave that relationship with the Lord behind. We're doing all this stuff, but do we really know the Lord? Do we really have a relationship with the Lord? Are we walking in that relationship? Martha had that relationship, but she had forgotten about the importance of it. But that's really why Jesus came to her house. He wanted to come in to sit down and commune with Martha and Mary. I'm sure Lazarus must have been there as well. The wonderful thing is that Jesus does want to come in. He wants to, to have a meal with us. I love Revelation 3:20. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone opens to me, I will come in and I will sup with him. I will have a meal with him. Isn't that a strange thing for Jesus to say, that he would come and eat with you? But what Jesus is after is our repentance. That's what that passage is about, turning to the Lord so that we can have communion with him, so that we can have a fellowship, a relationship with him. That's what Jesus is pursuing. When Jesus offers up his high priestly prayer in John 17... He says, he prays, Father, the hour has come. This is right before he's about to die. Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Eternal life is not service. Eternal life is knowing God and Jesus Christ, whom God sent. In the, our assurance of pardon this morning, Jeremiah 31, Jeremiah's talking about the new covenant that gets fulfilled when Jesus comes and the Holy Spirit is poured out at Pentecost. That's when this is fulfilled, but Jeremiah wrote about it hundreds of years before it happened. And he says, This is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, declares the Lord, I will put my law within them. I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. In the Old Testament era, 
the only people, the only person who could come into the presence of the Lord was the high priest once a year into the very holy of holies. On the day of atonement, he would go in there in the very presence of God. In the New Testament era, once Jesus died, what happened to the curtain? There was a curtain that separated the holy of holies from the rest, the rest of the temple. And when Jesus died, the curtain was torn in two from top to bottom. And this curtain, if you look at the dimensions given in the Old Testament, it was a curtain that was like five inches thick, linen, woven linen curtain. It was split, and it was symbolic of the fact that now, because of what Christ did on the cross, we can have access into the very presence of God. We can have a relationship with him. We can know him. We don't have to be represented by a human priest. We have one great high priest, Jesus Christ, who's opened the way through his body on the cross. And now we can know him. We can relate to him. The Spirit lives in us. We can know the Lord. Horatius Bonner was a Scottish divine and a great hymn writer. And one of, one of his great hymns that we sometimes sing, we would have sung it today, but uh, I didn't discover this, I didn't think about this till today, this morning. But we'll sing it another time. Not what my hands have done. Not what my hands have done can save my guilty soul. Not what my toiling flesh has borne can make my spirit whole. Not what I feel or do can give me peace with God. Not all my prayers and sighs and tears can bear my awful load. Thy work alone, O Christ, can ease the weight of sin. Thy blood alone, O Lamb of God, can give me peace within. Thy love to me, O God, not mine, O Lord, to thee, can rid me of this dark unrest and set my spirit free. And then the final verse, I praise the God of grace. I trust his truth and might. He calls me his. I call him mine, my God, my joy, my light. Tis he who saveth me and freely pardon gives. I love because he loveth me. I live because he lives. We can have a love relationship with the Lord because of what Christ has done. That's what he wants. And we can serve him, and we should serve him, but most importantly, we should know him and love him because he's loved us so much. There is one big rock you need to put in your mayonnaise jar, and that is having a relationship with Jesus, a relationship that comes to us by grace through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Oh Lord, we pray that you would help us to remember that the most important thing, the, most, the one thing necessary is to be close to you, to know you, to walk with you. Thank you, Lord, that you have provided a way for us to do that, and you desire that. Thank you that you desire to know us, to, to have us as your children, to be in your family, to, to relate to you. Lord, we pray that you would help us to take the time out from the, even the good service that we render to you in our lives to know you, to listen to your word, to sit at your feet, 
to, to pray to you, to ask you things, to, to commune with you. Lord, we pray that if there's anyone here who doesn't know you, Lord, that, that they would turn to you. Lord, you promised that all who comes to you, they would, you would never cast them aside, never cast them out, but welcome them in. Lord, we pray that we would all sense that welcome and that we would joyfully enter into your presence. And Lord, we pray that we, like Mary, would make you our good portion. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.